Okay, in one of the last episodes, actually a couple of episodes ago, we started our journey through uh, Windows uh, Server. And we stopped roughly around the era of uh, Windows Server 2000. So now it's time to continue that journey. And we're going to discuss all of the Windows Server versions from 2003 up to 2022. We're going to discuss uh, some of their strong points, some of their negative sides, for example. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, experiences of using them and kind of like give our verdict on some of the versions and which ones we liked the best. Okay, with that being said, this is a new episode of That IT Show Podcast. Let's roll the intro. Hit the road. Okay, so let's start with the first question. Mm -hmm. uh, as is the custom here, do you remember Microsoft Comic Chat? Yes. It was. Do you smack remember Microsoft Mail? Yes, but uh, I want to talk about Microsoft Comic Chat because this is the time of it. This is the time of uh, Microsoft uh, Internet Explorer 4.0. This is the time of Windows. 95 and 98 and this was the time when microsoft uh, decided that the best thing that they can do is auto generate comic strips that are going to contain uh irc chats mm -hmm. and you could be basically a guy with a paper bag on his head and uh, quite a few characters more oh man I'm do you remember those yeah, I do. Yeah, so the MSN chat that became a Microsoft comic chat that became Microsoft chat 2.0 that became nothing. Whatever. Does that remind, remind you of anybody? A lot of killed products? Yes. Google. Yes. Oh, okay. And I think that uh, we could say that uh, what was happening to Microsoft in the 90s is something that's happening to Google right now. Their history has a nasty habit of repeating if you don't know it. Yes. yes, yes. And I think this is one of those things. So let's begin. Let's where, where do you want to start? Can I ask a counter question? Yes. Why the hell do you want to start with comic chat? Because it was the birth of the best font available in Windows. Comic Sans? Comic Sans. Okay. So it was the the best, the most trollish word uh, font. Can that you see ever. what I'm dealing with here? Yes. Yeah, so the 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 most trollish uh, font that ever existed in Windows, and it it has long, long, long surpassed its uh, useful shelf life uh, in any product, but it's still being used. Yes. So th this is one of those amazing things that is just a relic of the past, and no, no, <laughs> and everybody keeps using it. Okay. What so, does that have to do with Windows Server? Um. Basically, I wanted to start with the most uh, annoying fact that I remember about the old Windows. Mm -hmm. Because to be completely honest, in the 90s, uh, I was happy with what Windows was doing. Uh, How is that possible? Windows 95 and 98 weren't that bad. They were quick to adopt the new technologies. Uh, they weren't that bad. For example, they were able to uh, support USB barely a couple of years after it hit the market. Can I say something? Yes. A, a funny fact about Windows 95. I usually say this fact because it's 
like a template joke that you can always say about Windows 95. Windows 95 is our favorite operating systems system on a client for a client version of Windows that we did not mind reinstalling twice a week. Okay, let's let's roll with that. But uh, let's say that uh, what Microsoft did is uh, I'm going to show the or you are going to show the uh, Microsoft Family Tree of kernels. Because what I was what I was doing was I was trying to see uh, what was the history history of Microsoft kernels, mm -hmm. and the thing is that Microsoft actually started developing Windows in eighty five or eighty six, mm -hmm. then developed the same kernel until the Windows ME, mm -hmm. the operating system that nobody talks about because nobody and we are not going to talk about it. And I think or, or that we, we should, actually no. we should. And it's going to be a, an episode that is going to be fully cursed, and we're going to have bleeps all over it. No, no, no. I, I want to. I want to talk about uh, Microsoft Windows ME. Not I, today. I, I have. I have a real, a real, real reason because. I okay, want. not today. But let, let me let me just make my point. Uh, let's let's go on a tangent or a tangent. So the idea is this: uh, Windows ninety eight, uh, second edition. Okay. Was probably the best of all the Microsoft Windows up until that point. When we are talking about desktop systems. Uh, uh, SE? Okay, I agree. Yes. And then came Windows ME. Mm -hmm. and Arguably we, the crappiest OS Microsoft ever made. Yes, and actually, I don't know of a single person who actually used Windows ME for uh, longer than a week. I tried. Can I, I tell I, you? I tried, but then I gave up. Because it is, it was. I was used to reinstalling my Windows every couple of weeks, mm -hmm. so just switching back to Windows uh, ninety eight SE was a simple thing. Mm -hmm. So I cannot talk about how Windows ME was supposed to be uh, bad. Okay. Because it was so bad that I completely deleted it and then completely forgot about it. Okay. And then I switched to NT uh, or Windows 2000, uh, and then I completely uh, went off the rails with uh, Windows. So uh, 2000 XP and uh, Vista and so on and so on came later. Mm -hmm. And those were just the, simply uh, the different uh, sub-tree or a different build, build version of the kernel. So completely different kernel. Okay. Do we agree that Windows uh, 92, uh, 98, 92, Windows 98 uh, second edition were the best? From that era, yes. Do we agree that the anti-kernel is the best? Yes, it still is. Okay, arguably. <laughs> because uh, it is the same kernel that is running Windows and uh, Windows 11, so nah, no. You like Windows 11? Yes, I like Windows 11, but I think this the thing I like about Windows 11 is that um, this is the probably the single uh, version of Windows that got all the decrepifier stuff uh, on the market basically at the same time at when Windows 11 was uh, released. Okay. So you could turn Windows 11 back into Windows 10, uh, more or less a, a week after the release, because mm -hmm. all the different uh, tools that enabled you to go back in time and uh, use the features of Windows 10 was available. Mm -hmm. And Windows 11 is going to come with the additional Copilot. Mm -hmm. Can I go back to Emmy while you asked for it? Do you know what I used Windows ME last for? I don't know. You probably forgot. I think I told you the story. Uh, uh, I let, had... let me guess HP switches. No, no, no. 
uh, far cry from that. Actually, uh, I had a very, very big Mackays case, big tower. They were okay. popular in those days with God knows how many disk drives inside, SCSI and whatnot. And I had uh, Cubase and Nuendo on them, and I was trying to record a session, multi-channel session with the band. Okay. Do you know how that ended up? I almost, it didn't. almost smashed my computer. Because the second I pressed the record button, blue screen. But that was a normal uh, operation uh, <laughs> module uh, with uh, trying to use anything, anything uh, that wasn't standard hardware with Microsoft. Really? Basically, if you had any device, and by any I mean including uh, some ISIS uh, and including uh, stuff like uh, sound cards and so on, you would end up with the blue screen because uh, they were running in uh, Ring Zero and nobody cared. So a single error in the driver, and God knows that there were errors <laughs> in drivers, oh, um, yes. and uh, the windows would come crashing down and that, that would be it. Yes. So, so I'm just, I'm just not, um, I'm not surprised that you got, uh, uh, that you got, uh, had problems with uh, Windows ME and uh, recording. Had problems. That's how you define it. Yes, but uh, what I want to understand is w w why you did you even end up with Windows ME and trying to do this? Well, I was still very much in my uh, Yasmin does beta testing mode of everything. Uh, so that's the, one of the reasons, and. The second reason is that uh, when it worked for brief periods of time, then it was a little bit more capable than Windows 98 SE. But for brief periods of yes, time, which yes, were measured yes, in seconds. Yes, yes, But the problem was that uh, I'm not in my uh, better, uh, better testing versions. I'm usually alpha testing in production, and this is the completely yes, different thing. Yes, that's, that's, that's the way we need to do it. But this is the, this is the thing that uh, makes you springy. So you are basically uh, prepared for everything. Yeah. You keep, uh, keep yourself on your toes. So it's like Keita and uh, Inspector Clouseau. So just you... No. Th th that's the thing. The Microsoft is the Keita here. Yeah, yeah, I know. No. Okay. And, I refuse that. <laughs> and I think, I, I'm, I think I'm within my rights to refuse that because Windows ME, sorry to say, but every single time somebody mentions it, I just get I'm, unpleasant I'm, hairs on my back I that I didn't have, know existed. I don't have any reaction to it because yeah. I haven't used it for more than, I don't know, 10 days. And then mm. I gave up. I really That's tried. It. I didn't. I didn't. I tried. I tried a I, little bit. I remember. So one, one of the things that uh, that's very, um, let's say, very me is remembering stuff from that age. Reason being that uh, I remember reading about uh, Windows and OS2 in magazines and reading the, those things religiously. I also remember the day when 95 came out. I was very happy when 95 OSR2 came out because of pan-European language support and all of those things. So I can remember very distinctly from those days that when I had Windows 95, I used to install them a lot. And as you said in the previous episode, that those were the days of RQs and jumpers and whatnot, very much so for input-output address, RQ and whatever. Uh, after that, I went to Windows 98. 98 was, eh, second edition was really good. 
Yes, but I think that the Windows really came of age when XP was released. Agreed. And I think that this was this was the time when Microsoft uh, actually realized that they need the uh, desktop and the uh, whole idea of how stuff should work based on uh, Windows 98. Mm-hmm. And they need the stability of the kernel that came with uh, NT. Okay. And yeah. then, then they actually made their operating system that made sense. Yeah, and NTFS and all those beautiful things. And they didn't. Uh, they repeat, lost the memo. They did repeat the error. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. and, and they lost the memo. That's what I figured. But okay. let's talk about Are, because I'm talking. I'm, I'm uh, uh, looking at the kernel, uh, the kernel uh, tree. Mm-hmm. And I Why? just want to I just want to do an honorable mention to Windows CE, Windows Pocket PC, Windows Mobile, uh, Windows Phone 8. Please don't touch Windows Mobile. I had Asus A636, my Pocket PC, which was pretty much awesome and got me through some very, very interesting journeys with the GPS that I had in, the, in that one. So, yeah, that's good. I'm just going to it say worked well, that mobile version of Windows uh, was something that... Uh, okay, so... Windows Phone 8 was something that this was the first version of Windows uh, or Windows Phone 7 to be more correct. More correct. This I'm is waiting the first... for you to start dissing on Windows Phone 7 and then I'm going to kick the crap out of you. They were, okay, they had an operating system that was amazing for this, that time, mm-hmm. but this was the only single mobile phone that kept blue screening while in call so never happened to me uh i i got uh, the spv so the first version of the um, uh, windows mobile that was uh, that was uh, available um, for testing and it kept for some reason it kept uh, crashing during the call mm-hmm. and it was an amazing experience because i'm used to uh, disconnects on the mobile network i'm used to uh, uh, batteries running out uh, stuff happening for, for whatever reason, but my mobile never crashed during the call. And to be more precise, I never got a feeling when you are talking to somebody, then he vanishes from the phone. You take a look at the phone, the phone is rebooting. This is the only phone that gave me that experience almost every time. Okay. Let me counter that or maybe upgrade uh, what you said. I had HTC HD7. I still keep that as a backup phone 12 and a half years after uh, it was released. Actually, 12 and a half years after I bought it because it was released in 2010. I still have it in my car as a backup phone. It still works with the original battery. And it is one of my favorite uh, mobile phones to ever exist for reasons that I'm about to mention. And this is coming from somebody somebody who just like Yasmin lived through the whole Nokia revolution. I had all of the communicators and the 8 series Zippo phones and whatnot. So I was lucky in, the, in that sense. But uh, HD7 had, uh, especially because of the OS, had some, uh, has a very, very like special place in, in the history of the phones that I used. And uh, the reason why. It was a single core phone. I think it had 1.5 gigahertz CPU, something like that. Okay. It was faster than anything on the market at that time. 
When I say faster, it was million times faster than any Android, any iOS. HTC used to be... No, it was because of the Windows thingy and the interface, if you ask me, is still the interface with all of those blocks that keep on circling around and whatnot. For me, it's still the most elegant interface I've ever seen on a mobile phone. Uh, and that that's subjective, of course. I'm going I'm going to agree with you because the tiles, they were called yeah, tiles. tiles. The tiles were uh, something that made, uh, that actually made the fresh interface that made sense. But the problem was that uh, what didn't uh, happen is that Microsoft didn't uh, fulfill the promise that they were trying to do. They were trying to emulate macOS and they were trying to, at this point in time, they were trying to uh, interconnect uh, uh, both the mobile system and the mobile ecosystem and the desktop ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And they miserably failed at it. Yes, still one of my one of the best phones that I had probably in top three. And I basically spent a lifetime as a journalist as well uh, using top-level phones like forever. That That phone was superb and the, the reason why that all of that failed is lack of long-term support in terms of the applications for the most part there were problems with you know mobile banking applications and whatnot although they existed for a while but when they went to whatever it was 7.5 or 8 or whatever the next version was then apps stopped working and after that soon enough the whole platform was canned Yes, but this was this is the Microsoft's fault, because Microsoft was trying to overreach uh, way, way, way over in the market that they didn't understand, didn't believe in, and didn't were for, unable. For a to. company that is definitely guilty of that in that point in time, I would say that they did an awesome job of creating a mobile OS that really worked well and fast, and was for me it was super reliable, but. The market was already, you know, just like in, in when you play cards, the cards were already dealt out. So they came way too late to the market with all of this. Okay, see, 20 minutes in, let's uh, try Talk about to, the original topic. Uh, let's try to f uh, remember what the original topic was and let's go historically. Of course. So, uh, do you remember the what was the first version of the Windows that uh, got USB support? My, I have uh, a retro PC at home with Windows 98 USB works. Yes, but if you remember the famous introduct, introduction to Windows 95 and the uh, plug and play, mm -hmm. when the uh, plug, plug and play broke down in front of the audience uh, when Bill Gates was uh, plugging in the scanner, mm -hmm. uh, this was one of those defining moments when people said, okay, this technology is not what they're promising us uh, it is going to happen. And I think... Okay, this was the first version that got USB. Mm -hmm. USB was, was an amazing and still is an amazing technology. But people don't even realize how complex and strange this uh, became to be for the people who were used to using parallel ports, COM ports, uh, RQs, PS2, uh, PS2 uh, having to shut down the computer to be able to connect the device and so on and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. So USB was one of those things. What I missed was that NT4 was unable to use USB. Yeah, I remember that as well. And this is one of those things that they actually missed. Be I had, uh, as uh, I'm, I'm sure I told you this story, but one of the first things that I do, used to do when, or I used to use when I was back in college, so I traded one of my big synthesizers for a Dell laptop. 
And for a couple of years, my daily driver was that Dell laptop with Windows 2000 advanced server. The reason is very straightforward. It never crashed on me. It always worked, worked really well. It was a little bit sluggish because it was um, more hungry for hardware than that laptop could provide. But given that, you know, everything that I used to do on, on that laptop, which consisted of just regular, let's say, office stuff, browsing, uh, you know, a secure shell, uh, connecting to internet via old school technologies and whatnot that worked beautifully and printing and word and excel of the old versions all of that worked really well so that was uh, actually something that i used for quite a while and i wasn't the only one we had a small group of people which were a part of the local ieee uh, office that was located in our college uh, three or four of us had the same configurations uh, same configurations in terms of OS. This was the this was the way back then when Microsoft Windows Server, when you installed it, basically installed all all the bells and whistles uh, the same as the desktop, because I remember that 2003 was the first one that actually asked you what do you want to install, and didn't install everything, and then yeah, asked it had you to a crappy, install, yes. crappy initial version of the server manager, which later on became the staple application on Windows Server, and even this today. A lot of people still use it. I use it on a daily basis as well. Nothing against it. It is power.net PowerShell based. I must say that I used Windows 2003 way into the 2010s uh, as a router. Okay. Because it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was a capable router, but for what I had to do, it no. was amazing on crappy hardware. It was running uh, completely stable for years and it didn't require much memory it didn't require much desk so it was uh something that you could consider a reasonable operating system for uh, the particular uh, case my first uh, let's say production level introduction to windows 2003 was when i took over system administration and engineering for a company that i still work for on a contractual basis they had windows 2003 server with file server with domain controller and exchange on top of that Basically, when it worked, it worked perfectly, which was 99% of the time. When it didn't, a reboot took 50 minutes. And I remember 2003 very well, uh, especially from the Tira. While we were on the topic of router, um, uh, routing and remote access service was basically broken since then. And even then, the, there, like out of five routing options that you have there, only one or two of them worked. You were just lucky in that particular scenario that you were probably using the net scenario, network address translation. No, I was uh, using something even more simple. I was just using L2? bridging. Bridging, bridging. Yeah, that worked B as well. Because so. NT, uh, Windows 98 was unable to bridge uh, adapters. Yeah, there were no internet connection sharing yeah. and whatnot. That came later. Yeah, I know. So yeah, 2003 for me is very close to being on, on the top just from practical experience to being uh, uh, very close to the top of the, the operating systems that actually kind of uh, taught me how to think about Windows Server operating systems. And for the most part, it was super reliable, unlike its later cousin 2003 R2, which was awful to, for everything that I used to do. But what I wanted to say is that one of the things that Windows 3.11 and Windows 95 did for me is that they made me do Alboot into Linux. And this is one of those things that uh, I think I'm mo most grateful to Microsoft for. Okay, uh, <coughs> I'm, I'm, I'm also grateful for the, the same era, same thing, 
but specifically because I wiped all of my data while trying to do it for the first couple of times because it wasn't easy to do and there were no there was no documentation i must say that i haven't wiped my data a single time yeah i did multiple uh, times until i realized how i was i was one of those lucky uh persons that i that <laughs> had uh, two separate hard disks i had them too but it was still this was the era when i started doing some work on the side so i had this was the era when i fell in love in, in a sense in terms of technology in scuzzy so i had loads of scuzzy disks inside and a tower of external SCSIs and SCSI scanner, uh, Scanjet by HP, which I still have to this day, and it still works. That's more than 20 years later, 25 but years this later. Was the, this was the time when people were actually trying to create machines that worked, mm -hmm. not, mach not units to be sold. And this is the, te the topic for another episode. It is, and I'm preparing for it for a while now, as you know because there are some experiences from that era that you cannot convey by talking about it. There are things that need to be demonstrated in a practical The thing sense. is that uh, what I'm planning to do, I'm planning to get my old uh, LaserJet uh, 4100 because it still exists. I Where's my 4L? I have no idea. Um, but I have my original uh, 4100 that is now roughly over half a million copies in. And I tracked it down, it still works, it is still printing, it's uh, in a club uh, near Zagreb in the amateur club, mm -hmm. and they are doing it for the, their uh, document printing, uh, and uh, it still works, it has the original hard disk, hard drive in it, so the postscript hard drive, and it works. Yeah, it's indestructible. Actually, as I said in one of the previous episodes, my counterpart to that was 4L. Uh, giving that one away was probably one of the saddest days in my IT life. It worked perfectly. It, it, it was still functioning like, like I, I got 4L when I was still in high school, you know, and uh, prior to that I had uh, the dot matrix uh, uh, Epson LX800, which printed a crap load of uh, pages. But when we had in on, I don't know which was year it was, was it the first or the second year of the high school, we got Latin and then we had to do those late Latin sayings and whatnot. So I printed them for the whole class and that broke my Epson. After that, I got 4L because dot matrix and all of that, they are not nine pins. It wasn't for 24 pin, it was a nine pin. So that one broke uh, because it was... 35 or 6 people in the class and it was like 50 pages for each and every one of them. I just... think that you are right now uh, talking about things that probably most of the people who are listening to us don't know even existed. That's so okay. let, me, let me just do a, a little breakdown while on uh, talking about Windows in the episode about Windows, let's talk about uh, how dot matrix printers used to work. So <laughs> they the, still work. Still they used to, they used to have a number of pins that were impact the toner or the ribbon, the ribbon, yeah, and then transfer the ink to the paper. Very similar to how the typewriters work. So they tried with nine pins, then realized that this is not enough. Then they switched over to uh, higher high resolution, yep. twenty four, yep. 
it is a high resolution 24 and for some reason nobody tried to uh, do the switcheroo with the uh, switcheroo with the number of um, uh, droplets and the number of things they didn't do the 48 or 96 uh, pins later Damn it. that would be fun they were incredibly noisy I think that they were less noisy than the line printers that I used to work with. Yeah, but still very noisy. You remember those line printers yeah. that were uh, the size of washing machines yes. and uh, that had uh, basically mm -hmm. 10 centimeter thick uh, echo uh, cancelling uh, isolation to be able to Which actually be inside the office. Yeah. No, the office was shaking, but uh, at, yeah. least, at least you could talk uh, yeah. near the printer. <laughs> but okay. So let's try to go back to the Windows for the third time. Okay, uh, 2003, that's the topic. It had, um, it was the first time that Microsoft introduced a, a server-based wizard called Manager Server Wizard or something like that, which could, uh, which is basically precursor to the server manager that we still have to this very day. Uh, you could use it to do similar things to server manager, so deploy roles, features, whatnot, later on to be called roles, features, and whatnot. Back then, they were services. Um, it had one of the biggest advancements in 2003, if I remember correctly, was the addition of shadow VSS driver and shadow copies and the whole system, which um, basically, when you look at it now, 20, 20 years later, backwards you know across your shoulder in the history of IT was one of the most important things that ever happened in Microsoft world the capability of VSS uh, is something that we still use to this very day to do backup uh, I think that Microsoft gets a lot of uh, heat for doing things uh... I mean there, there was shadow copies before but the, they implemented it for file servers as well for shares the, the, Super as important. I said Microsoft is getting a lot of heat for not doing things but uh, the, uh, most often than not, they are uh, introducing technologies when they should be introduced. But okay. what what they what they usually miss is the opportunity to actually create the technology that works. So they introduce the technology, and it takes too much time to fine tune. And this is one of those things where I like Linux because it is Linux. Uh, For all the complexity there is underneath, it's still quite standardized. Yes, this is one thing. And the other thing is that uh, when something needs to change, it changes. Mm -hmm. Microsoft is reluctant to change between versions of Windows or they are uh, reluctant to introduce new technologies into the uh, current uh, version of Windows because they are waiting for the next uh, version. So sometimes it takes them a couple of years to introduce something that should be fixed and uh, basically something that should be fixed right now sometimes wait for uh, waits for a couple of years simply because there is a cycle that needs to be done inside Microsoft because of the roadmap uh, that Microsoft defines. Uh, okay, on top of that, there were a couple of other additions. They were improving the terminal services. Uh, it had the new version of Internet Information Services basically their version of a web server, which was built within an actual web services role. And on top of that, there were some multimedia things that they did, some media services or whatever it was called. And it was, the I think, the first Windows server operating system that supported wireless. It had a wireless service that enabled us to use wireless too, which to still, still to this day is something that we sometimes need, actually, believe it or not. I would call it, I would call it, we actually need it, not sometimes. We could actually be using it uh, more than sometimes, but uh, people, 
gave up on the gave up on the uh, notion of Microsoft Windows Server being able to do anything by itself. So we are shifting uh, wireless 4G and so on into the routers because we gave up on the idea of the operating system being able to support it. And one of the reasons is because uh, Microsoft uh, usually screws it up. <laughs> okay, if you say so. I had a reminiscence of something that happened in the past, happening in front of me. No, no, I, I have, a, I have, a, uh, I have a, a, a strong opinion about uh, having an operating system that you are able to connect directly to the internet. Uh, AI Linux mm -hmm. and having an operating system that should never ever uh, in any case be connected to the internet being any Windows uh, that are right, right on the market. Can I counterpoint that for you for a second? You, you can try. I will succeed this time. Do you remember the difference between so roughly around the time when internet was popularized in Croatia? That was basically around 95, 96. Okay. There were some small spots of internet happening before that. I'm talking about the year when it started exploding. That was 95, 96. That's when the academic organization also introduced the uh, some of the modern things yes. that you could connect to. And there were some on different institutes and different colleges and whatnot. If you wanted to connect uh, via your Linux desktop at home to internet, what did you need? Slip which yes the slip protocol that's okay but that's easy to do you can just compile it in a kernel as a module everything cool which application and which file did you need for that do you remember what was the most commonly used way to dial internet back then from linux i actually don't remember what are the name of the switches that we use on the motherboards do you remember their names dip mm. switches it dip was switches. dip yes okay. dip you had dip scripts. Ah, yes okay Dobro, okay so you had to create the configuration file for that and whatnot. On the okay. other side of the fence, if you look in Windows, which application did you use to connect to internet? Winsock. Trump Trumpet Winsock. One of the most loved applications of that era. Yes, but... It was way easier to configure that. Although you had to know all of those, those just like in DIP, uh, partially, you had to know all of those pesky modem codes, ATX3, M0, M1, okay, whatnot. But... but it was way easier to connect by using Trumpet Winsock than by, by using Linux, because back then nobody was using Linux. Uh, partially, from us, partially true, us. but I'm not going to give on that because you basically need a third-party solution, as you always do when using Microsoft, to be able to do something that Linux was providing out of the box. It wasn't providing it out of okay. the box. Uh, nothing is provided out of the box. Mm -hmm. The kernel is provided out of the box. Yes. But the box contains a free to utility yeah. that enables you to connect, unlike uh, Trumpet Winsock. Mm -hmm. and, unlike, free and unlike Netscape... Uh, Navigator. Navigator that was... Which was excellent. Okay. We're going to compare it to the competition. It was excellent. But I remember way back then when I was excited that Microsoft Windows Explorer is, uh, Microsoft Internet Explorer is going to come out. And it was, uh, it was a uh, first time that somebody- Are you sick or something? No, no, no. I just, I just remembered that you were happy that there was another technology that is going to be uh, available that you can test it. I was very happy with Netscape because we were using it everywhere especially in college. Yes, I know, but Netscape was working. Uh, Microsoft Internet Explorer was uh, trying to, as they did in Windows, so version one was crappy. Mm -hmm. 
version two, two three, four, five, version six, two whatever. basically didn't Up exist. Till basically nine, it was useless. No, no, no. But version four was something that could be called useful. No. It was running correctly. It had some uh, features like caching that enabled it to be sort of kind of on par with what Netscape was doing at the time. Okay, so next. But the application, uh, but let's now just switch uh, just a second before you start uh, listen, uh, listing all the different versions. I want to remind us that there were applications that were running in Windows. Yes. Uh, so the default applications, and this is something that is not, we are not used to now because we're using everything on the web. So we had uh, Outlook. Yes. Outlook Express. Yes. We had... Uh, Outlook Express being the application that was one free. Of best, one yet, of the best mail uh, clients. It was way better than the, the uh, commercial version of Outlook back then for a variety of reasons. Then uh, we had uh, Internet Explorer and... Uh, real Bundling. Audio, Real Media, our favorite stuff. Real Audio, Real Media. But they were not part of the Windows. Yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, Microsoft bundled Internet Explorer. Microsoft bundled, bundled uh, the games. Yes, and My, sound, system sounds. Uh, system sounds. They bundled uh, disk utility, disk fragmentation utility, disk management utility. But for we could call it utilities that, that that are needed. The but, only thing that we needed but was you also got the chat. Solitaire, you, know. you got the solitaire. You got the and the, then they also added the dial-up networking. Yes, but the the applications were not and that hyper terminal. Bad. The applications themselves were not that bad. No, they weren't. They they worked actually rather well. I agree. And uh, the games were pretty nice. Uh, let's talk about that in another episode. I think we're going to agree on uh, on the fact that loads of games for the, from that era are much better than what we have today. Okay. So 2003 R2 is our next topic. For me, awful operating system for a variety of reasons. One of which I'm going to describe in a second. One of the uh, one of the fundamental reasons why it was uh, uh, crappy from my personal experience was the introduction of .NET 2.0, which meant some changes to PowerShell, which I really disliked. Coming back to that topic in a second, they introduced Microsoft Management Console new version with uh, 2003 R2, uh, MMC 3.0 or something like that, which we still use to this very day. It's one of the most useful things when you're doing system engineering and administration. If you need to uh, add additional snap-ins, uh, configure certificates and local users, stuff like that. Then 2003 had a, a version of one of the first versions of ADFS. Coincidentally, 20 years later, this is one of the fundamental technologies that we use nowadays for authentication, especially on the web or in Azure or in cloud, generally speaking. They also introduced DFS in 2003 R2, distributed file system. To be quite honest, I liked it from the get-go, apart from one thing, it just didn't work until 2012. DFS, DFS was then just a three-letter abbreviation that uh, got looked a lot- cool uh, 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 it, it looked cool on the cool, it was promising a lot of things and none of those work. Until 2012, just so But But, but DF, DFS was a great idea. Still is. Uh, what? I always wanted to express as an opinion is I never understood why Microsoft screwed up MMC, the console, yes. so much that they didn't provide us with the central repository for all the consoles that are available on the on the. You can uh, actually system. still use it. There are, uh, no, there are utilities for that. Yes, but you need a special utility to be R able sets. to see which, which uh, yes. Th but they are very version bound. 
They are version bound, they are different, but there is no a single utility that would be a repository of all the consoles that are available right now on, the, on, the, on your operating system. Deploy our sets, as I said. But it's it's also workaround. It's yes. not that w- w- what they want to see. And I didn't understand why. I didn't understand why Microsoft uh, created... I could never a- understand why they canned the idea of uh, management, uh, man- management console snappings since Exchange 2010, which had a management console which everybody used. And a lot of people were very sorry for not having it anymore because everything needs to be on the web. Yes, but we also have the, right now the certificates of the console that you, can, you must, you must use you yeah. must use because there is no you other way it's not a must it's just much better than doing it via GUI especially with all the problems with modern name browsers and ASP ASPX pages on the certification service yes you when have you're to talking about Explorer. when you're talking about Windows yes uh, Windows uh, server Windows yes but when you're talking about desktop there is no other way to do it correct and if you need to fix something with the certificates, and usually you do, especially when you are dealing with third-party applications and USB sticks that are uh, mutually incompatible and uh, exclusive when we are dealing with certificates, you sometimes need a console and there is the only way, this is the only way to deal with the certificates. That's an excellent point because Microsoft heavily changed the architecture of the way in which they work with certificates after 2003. I think it was very much to the detriment of many things, but that uh, there is a positive side to that. They started focusing on standardizing the way in which you work with certificates from the perspective of smart cards, which meant that everybody had to be compatible, which was a good thing at the end of the day. And nowadays it's much easier to integrate smart cards into our environments because of it. Yes, and uh, so I was, there's, there's pro and there's cons. I was, I was just, uh, today I was uh, searching for something and I was trying to see what is the simplest way for me to do um, a keyless or a key login that is going to be enable me to uh, be as secure as possible but at the same time, don't require me to use a password. So mm-hmm. I was, uh, was researching, researching different uh, keys, uh, tokens, uh, whatever, hellos, uh, cards, passphrases, and so on. And I realized that Microsoft actually did their homework. Yeah. And uh, they actually were able to more or less safely authorize the users using different uh, methods. Sometime from 2003 and 2005, uh, because this is the time when they realized that they're going to be pushing into the banks, they're going to be pushing into the Tufa. market. Tufa was the reason why, yes. and banks specifically, and I know this from personal experience, Yes, and because they... I had loads of requests back then to implement uh, two-factor authentication. They specifically requested smart cards. And even to this day, you have group policies in Windows Server that can uh, basically manage the way in which you use the smart cards. If you remove it, screen locks, stuff like that. And ISOs 27001 premises requires such a functionality. So this still works to this very day for which, you know, they made my life a hell of a lot easier. And this is one of those things that uh, came also with uh, support from uh, vendors because they actually included uh, smart card readers in the, directly in the laptops. Yes, but there is a big but to that. None of the vendors that I work with, and there were quite a few, hid crescendos, whatnots, I tried many of those. None of them had good documentation about how to issue certificates. That was a big problem back then. I remember this from personal experience. I've spent weeks trying to deduce how to do that and how to create enrollment agents 
so that you, you can have a central to, station. But to... I think that this was back way way then uh, when you were supposed to just uh, call. Uh, yeah, I refuse to do call, that. Call somebody. Call, the guy. Uh, call, call a guy, and the guy is going to be in triple digits uh, as soon as he says hello, and then in four uh, yes. uh, four, four digits when he says, "Okay, this is how it needs to be done." Okay. So consultants were much, 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 much more important back way then uh, for simple things, because to be honest, things that were complicated way back then mm -hmm. is something that we are doing on daily basis today yeah that's the way in which the world changed and two more features yes very important okay now more mm -hmm. two more features very very important uh, very reminiscent of uh, 2003 r2 fsrm file server resource manager file screening quotas and all of those things quotas we had on unix for decades before and the second feature, and this is laughable one, but it's still very important for future of Microsoft, Microsoft Virtual Server 2005. This was the first real foray into virtualization. And if you had the 2003 R2 Enterprise Edition, they still had Enterprise back then. So standard enterprise and data center, you could run up to four virtual machines by using Virtual Server 2005 uh, and Enterprise License covered one plus four. Actually, I remember from those days, a lot of people were using this. This is my personal experience, at least. But that was the beginning of their story of uh, shifting towards the ideas that VMware was already using, and we had in Linux as well, which is the story of virtualization. Uh, but I need to check because I want to check when did the uh, virtual PC come into the windows it was no no it was a separate feature yeah yes and yes no but uh, because uh, way back then uh, the virtual pc was the way for people to do two things mm -hmm. microsoft didn't want to do the virtualization in the first uh, instance it didn't, they didn't want to do the virtualization on the desktop market mm -hmm. but they had to because they had so many technologies that they wanted to get rid of that they had to have a way of uh, running them in a separate uh, sandbox or a separate machine okay so what they basically did is that uh, they recreated all the previous versions of whatever was in the virtual machine then just put it uh, in a virtual pc but they kept very similar technology in windows 7 or 8 that some kind of a client virtualization to do like within application so they had virtual pc appearing later as well but all all in all uh, the the pet peeve and the reason why i had huge you know misgivings with 2003 r2 is the reason that i mentioned first which is powershell 2.0 which fundamentally changed some of the existing powershell commandlets and i had a situation in which that really came and bite me in the behind um, for uh, back then I was trying to work out some additional details in terms of logging of remote servers by using PowerShell. That's when I started using it because that's when it came out. And I had to substantially substantially modify the code depending on the Windows version. So that pissed me off to no end. Actually, I told this story today to our students because one of the students asked me what was one of my defining moments of uh, asking myself what is Microsoft doing and why are they doing some of the things that they do? Uh, 
I'm, I must say that, uh, to be completely sarcastic, uh, I'm a little bit uh, scared of you right now because you shouldn't be defining your uh, moments by what Microsoft is trying to decide. No, no, no by Microsoft defining moments. That ah, okay. was the question. Because one of my defining moments was the Challenger uh, catastrophe. And this doesn't, it, this doesn't mean... Because, no, that doesn't meet the same criteria. Yeah, 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 yes, but I think it, this is on the same page with Microsoft deciding. No, no, it's, it's, the, 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 my story doesn't appear as a blip on the radar compared to that. Yes, so, but okay, yeah. but uh, I remember, I remember, uh, I was just uh, looking up because I remember that the PowerShell was used to call, uh, used to be calling, uh, called Monad. It, this is the name of the Only project. You. Uh, and the reason why I remember this is because I was excited about Microsoft uh, finally gaining the avail uh, capability of being able to run something from the command line and that command line not being the CMD from the from, from, from scraps what uh, remained of DOS. And to that point, what about VBS? It was very popular back then. Uh, VBS? I used to use it. And VBA? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, uh, yes, but I was expecting something to become, uh, I wanted something to bridge the gap between uh, uh, batches and batch languages and batch interpreters. And the, you wanted the shell script type of language, shell type of language, not the programming language that we use. Yes, yes, I wanted the, uh, an interpreter first, yeah. and I wanted something that was able to be run, running scripts without compiling. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things that Microsoft is still missing today, but they filled the gap with the PowerShell, but I was expecting something else. I was expecting the tools that are going to generalize uh, interaction between the uh, common shell and the uh, GUI. I wasn't expecting that they're going to be uh, providing you. I was expecting basically the uh, auto eight or the, the the things that enable you to just use the GUI directly from the PowerShell from the command shell without uh, specifically addressing a particular uh, application. Yeah. And they went the other way. Okay, and I think that they made the right decision. By the way, PowerShell is pretty much for a few kinks that sometimes happen. Most of the time, is just superb. Without it. I don't know where Microsoft would be right now. I would be pretty much happier if they, they went the other way and then created the API or a different version of the API that would be able to be called from the common shell. Okay. I, I completely understand that way of thinking, but uh, you, you do not, uh, you are employing the old general after the battle principle. It's easy to judge that now. And I think that you're also at the same time, Palfrong, I think the, the best way would be to have both. Yes. This is the way in which most other vendors have it. So VMware has PowerCLI and API, REST API for everything. I that's, would, that's what we would probably like more. Right now, uh, once the API, the idea of API was introduced, yes. I would probably call it hooks or uh, shell hooks or whatever. But uh, now that we have APIs, I'm always wondering why is Microsoft still not deciding on putting the API in every application that they create? They have mostly APIs for almost all of the apps that they have apart from the services. Yes, but this is a big part. Yeah, yeah I know. And this is one of those things that uh, actually uh, the, what is uh, the most my uh, most uh, held grudge against Microsoft against Microsoft is that they are inconsistent in what they do. Yeah. And this is just one of those things that which I I understand, but I dislike with passion. 
Not only this, but I would like to see somebody write down on the whiteboard somewhere in Microsoft uh, uh, on Microsoft Campus mm-hmm. to say, please remember, we have the time. When you have the time, just do the uh, API hooks inside your application. So no rush. No, take your time. Uh, Hurry take, up. take your time. But just when you're implementing something, please remember that there are people who are not using the uh, GUI. Okay. The next version is 2008, and I refuse to talk about that POS. Okay. Reason being because it didn't work, it never worked, and it had the original version of Hyper-V, which was utterly useless. But, and it's a big but, after that came, if you ask me, the best operating system that they ever made, which is 2008 R2. For me, and I still have them running in production on more than one location, they are pretty much unbreakable. Whatever you throw at them, they work. I have a couple of different clients running, for example, exchange clusters on top of Windows 2008 or 2. Those machines have been running for years and years, apart from occasional, let's say, power outage if the UPSs can handle that much, that long of a power outage. But generally speaking, I, I remember for two of my clients, I connected to that and uh, those environments with Exchange clusters twice in more than 10 years to check something that didn't work and it usually required a single command. I'm going to agree uh, with you on that because I know that a lot of people are still running 2008. There's a reason for that. (coughs) And Microsoft is quietly acknowledging it. Because if you remember, if you remember a couple of years ago when there was one of the security scares, that were much uh, more apart and much bigger thing way back then, that Microsoft uh, issued a retrograde patch for the 2008 R2. Okay. Uh, complete. Are we Heartbleed or something else? We are talking about, we are talking about one Spectre, of the, Meltdown, Heartbleed. I, I, I don't remember which one was, uh, was okay. it, but I remember that this was completely out of the service cycle. It was completely out of everything that Microsoft does. Oh, I get the, it. They yes, just they correct. just said I think it was Heartbleed. I think one of those three. But uh, I remember that they created a patch because they needed to acknowledge that people are still running 2003 and 2008 and R2. And those are very different operating systems. Yes, and the other thing was that they actually created a patch for those two, mm-hmm. not for every operating system between 2003 and 2008 mm-hmm. R2, specifically but for, because specifically those two are because the ones nobody that, runs 2008 original edition. Nobody. Yes, and the people who are running it are religiously still running it. I would. I wouldn't put that on my uh, on my computer or on my server if you gave me the lottery ticket that wins the lottery. I would much rather not have it. But that that's how much I dislike it. 2008 R2, on the other hand, yeah, I would. That's a you you know that uh, those um, you know funny things that people say they would carry something to the deserted island. That's the OS to take to deserted island. It's unbreakable. Okay, I have some other ideas about taking the I know, Oasis to deserted islands, but yes, okay. From the Microsoft stack, that's the one for me. If okay. I had to choose anything from the Microsoft stack, stack to take with me the deserted island, it, DOS 622. It wouldn't be probably Microsoft coming chat. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you ask me, and uh, this is a hint for a future episode. If you ask me which version of Microsoft OS I would like to run today, or that I would probably take to a deserted island to rival 2008 or two, it would be OS two. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, when somebody mentions OS2, I remember one distinct feature that it had that was completely out of its time, out of its reach, and basically it was there for no reason at all. Uh, do you remember that OS2 had a CD player? Yes. Because this was the, this was yeah. something that was used in the back back in the day, and it had the capability to play the multimedia thingies. Yes. No, uh, it had the, it had the capability to directly grab the digital data from the CD and yes. then decode it. Yeah. And it made for much better sound mm -hmm. because you uh, completely went uh, oh, uh, and uh, preemptive multitasking and workplace shell. Yes, but, and but, work but the thing that I remember is with that this apps. was the first time when I realized that. Uh, the uh, digital audio converter that is uh, supplied on the uh, CD player is basically a piece of junk because it is just a cheap piece of yeah. uh, piece of software, and then the software itself is capable of doing much, much, much more. Yeah. And also, you could also grab the MP3s there. No, not MP3s, but MP3s. Uh, yes. uh, raw directly from the CD and then convert. What we used to call CD ripping. Yeah. Yes, because you didn't need to see the rip. Yeah. You yeah, just yeah, no. drag and drop the files. Yeah, and that's because of the object nature of OS2, yes. which was basically the first popular operating system that had it. I miss Plan Nine. Yeah. Okay. Stop there. No more OS2. <laughs> uh, there are uh, actually. Uh, there's a long list of reasons why I really still uh, very much like using 2008 or 2. And uh, for some reason, it still brings the smile to my face. And uh, from IT perspective, yet again. Uh, first and foremost, it was the, the first Microsoft operating system that was 64-bit only. So that marked the transition. And it was done very well. It was really scalable, 256 cores. Uh, it had a lot of additions to various types of services, new additions to remote desktop, new version of Hyper-V that almost worked, almost being a problem with snapshots, but that's a topic for another day. It supported live migration out of the box with Hyper-V Manager. You don't have to have additional apps for that. It had server core edition for the first time as well. New version of PowerShell came into it. We had remote server management capabilities as well. And basically, 2008 R2 marks the beginning of the story of another application that we still use to this very day for management, which is Active Directory Administrative Center, which at in the in the original uh, let's say um, a time when, uh, at the time when it was released was used by many for one specific feature that was added in Active Directory when you raise the domain and functional and uh, uh, the domain enforced functional levels to 2008 R2, which is Active Directory Cycle Bin. Super important feature. And actually, uh, lack of that support for Active Directory Recycle Bin in, uh, came to bite me in the behind almost 10 years later uh, with one of the companies that I still work for because they didn't have it and they deleted uh, an OU with users and it was a shit show. Pardon me saying that. Domains and trusts, two-way trusts, incoming, outgoing trusts, all of that was a part of 2008 or two. And this still runs no issues whatsoever with it. I just realized that uh, you and me have a diff uh, very distinct uh, difference, uh, which is that you get, for some reason, you get, uh, you create a relationship between you and different operating systems, different versions of something. 
And I honestly, after after all these years, 30 or more, I honestly don't care. I want my operating system to work. I remember when it started working mm-hmm. and I usually hope that Microsoft is not going to break it in the, in the version now, right now. Uh, my, right now, my, hmm? uh, when I'm thinking about uh, Windows Server way, 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 way back, I know that the last version had a lot of problems. Still has. Still has. So I put a big X on it. I'm going to ignore it because the next version is going to be okay. Yeah, but you are you are much more uh, beta tested than me. I'm much more analytical. We already talked about this. And I remember these pros and cons because I spent hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of hours of working with with those services. So yes, that tends to stick with me. I, I tend to remember these things, not because of malice or wanting to and remember. I also, also did, uh, did hundreds of hours, but I just stopped caring about different... Uh, I cannot afford to do that. There, oh, okay. are, there are business reasons. Me why. neither, me neither, but I stopped caring. Yeah, but you then have to use a lot of extra documentation yes. that I don't. That's yes. the difference. Yes. So for me, it's actually a part of the time-saving mechanism in a sense. And to be, to be completely honest, uh, part of the time-saving mechanism for, for me is to be able to call you yes. and ask, ask you for different things. And you seem Joker. to... Joker. And you seem to remember, you are a joker on the phone, but yes, but uh, you seem to remember particular details that nobody cares about except, except you. And this is a good thing. Yeah, it's always you good to, to know, know a guy. You need to know people who are just into petty details of what Microsoft did. Today I had the same uh, same thing uh, on my course. I'm doing a, a Vera is orchestrator uh, and power CLI course for VMware this week. And today we were configuring Windows remote management, so PS remoting. And I did this millions of times. And uh, after we were done with the lecture, which lasted two times as long because I wanted to give them the overview of the technology as well, apart from the things that we needed to do on the slides and give them some practical examples, which is always good when you do a course. Then we went to the labs and none of those people, and they're quite experienced. They're really good, good people in terms of knowledge, but they didn't configure this all that much. So I started punching in commands for all of them in their remote sessions and all of the Win, Win, Windows remote management, WinRM commands. I just type them from, you know, my fingers know that. I don't think about it. It's just WinRM, quick config, blah, 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 trusted hosts, blah, 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 blah. You know, they were just looking at me uh, as if I'm crazy. Exactly as you're saying, I remember these petty details. It's not that I remember necessarily the petty details. It's the fingers remember. That yes, comes this, from the, the, but this this is also one one other thing that uh, every administrator's fingers remember some things. For me, you know, it's a long term thing related to music as well. So yes, this is different. one one of those things. But also for me, for, for example, uh, I usually switch to Joe editor in Linux. Me too. And I usually use screen, not me only too. not only because uh, it they work. They're but, excellent. But, oh, but also because. When I need to do, uh, when my brain uh, creates a thought of I need a different session, screen uh, I, I just do, no, no, I just do control uh, A, uh, C, C yes. and I'm used to just doing it at control A, uh, N. And I, con- you don't think about it. Or yes, control A, X with Joe and whatever. Yes, and this yeah. is one of those things that you just want to be able to do wherever you're doing something. Because uh, while in the school, uh, people usually talk to you and say, you need to know this uh, when they wake you up, you need to actually be able to recite this. Yeah, in three in the morning. Yes. And then 
uh, when you become a sysadmin or DevOps guy or whatever, uh, suddenly this three in the morning thing happens. Somebody actually wakes you up in three in the morning because they need something to be done. And then it helps that you have a muscle memory for uh, some things because you are basically cheating. You are, uh, while <laughs> That's you are how you call to, it. While you are trying to get your uh, brain up and running, you are going through the uh, muscle memory items yeah. and uh, to the memory items that you are remembering by heart and by your muscles and reading from the screen, hoping that something is going to pop up uh, before your brain uh, wakes up. This actually, uh, realistically speaking, and it's irrelevant to our topic, just to mention, it's a part of the long-term education that I received. Uh, when you're dealing with music, so I finished primary, secondary musical school, have perfect pitch, whatnot. But the way in which you are thought to deal with the notes and the rhythm and everything and prima vista reading of stuff, etc. The only way in which you can become good at that is to develop special skills with relation to memory. There is no other way. Yes, I know. Uh, if you want to be good at that. And I always wanted to be good at that. Just a little bit different to, to what they were teaching us. But that's a part of the John, uh, you know, James Dean mechanism that we all have. But that ev uh, evolved into what I have today. I'm, uh, I do have certain eidetic memory uh, capabilities when, it's, when we're talking about the things that are related to IT because my fingers are like a part of the eidetic memory system. I okay. seem to remember stuff. I just type them in twice and I remember them. I mean, screen. We used screen first time in 1994, 1995. Yes, and this is 30 the, years ago. And this is the reason why I don't understand MOOCs. The what? MOOCs. Remember, don't use that. Tmux is... First thing that I install on my Linux machine, just like use Joe and screen. Let's go. Tmux is much more capable application than screen. I don't care. But the reason why I'm not using it is because they uh, decided to switch uh, Control A to Control B. My, this is I the single reason. Less. This is the single reason why I, I, I just using. did a Elpic course, so Linux Professional yes. Inter Institute course, a couple of weeks ago, and I showed them both the Tmux and the Screen, and uh, they were asking me about what do you use. I was like, Screen, of course. Why? Because it's so deeply. Uh, like imprinted yes. in my in the uh, my finger memory. I don't think about it. Screen enter, control C, you know, control one, two, three, four, five. You can name the screens, all of that. Yeah, but again, going off topic, which is something <laughs> that you don't do. Always do. Yes. <laughs> okay. Next version was 2012. I would actually kind of go right to 2012 R2 and kind of bundle them together because 2012 and 2012 R2 are the operating systems that marked Microsoft's migration towards some other parts of the market. And while developing 2012 generation of Windows Server, they invested heavily into storage components of Windows. This is where we got the duplication, some encryption capabilities. This is where we got uh, storage pools and uh, stuff like that. Synchronous asynchronous replicas uh, evolved from that as well. This marked actually Microsoft's obvious turning point in terms of we want to go after the SME market with relation to storage services as well, so that people don't have to buy Synology, QNAPs and whatnots. That's the first part of the story. And the second part of the story is that they, uh, because of the fact that they started supporting SMB3 and whatnot, you could create highly available Windows file, ser file server and you could put Hyper-V disks on top of it and create a highly available 
failover cluster, which in the past was only possible if you had some kind of a usually block storage that was usually FC, which meant that the entry price to have a highly available environment was much smaller than it was before that. Yes, but let's now go a little bit of topic. Okay. Uh, really? How strange for yes, us. Yes, but uh, what I want to point out is that did you ever make the connection that this was at the same time when Microsoft created the biggest change in the exchange uh, yeah. they had? Yeah. And uh, do you remember what, what, what it was? Do you remember upgrading uh, in 2010 when you needed to upgrade from the exchange that was current at that time to the next version that your mailbox suddenly became uh, a couple of times bigger than it used to be? Yeah, yeah, I know what you when mean. They, when, you they, 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 when they introduced, it, introduced uh, the um, legislative code, Mm-hmm. And when they uh, remove the duplication of messages inside the... It's messages. not the duplication, but yes, it's similar to, to the duplication, but it's not called that way. Yeah, it, was, the way uh, in which it was linking, it was linking and it, it wasn't actual duplication, but me yes. Ex- me exchange trainer, you noob. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, of course. The way in which the, uh, let's say that you cc 20 people in the email on the same exchange server. Yes. In exchange 2010, up to 2010, it's not the duplication, it's different, but it's similar in functionality. Those emails were not saved 10 times. They were saved once and referenced 10 times objectively. After that, 2013 plus, they removed that feature for no apparent reason. Thank you, Microsoft. Mm, because in 2013, they rewrote the whole store stack and everything in exchange. In first version, they actually removed public folders. Everybody was very happy about that. Everybody hated them. Then they actually brought the public folders back and made them the part of database availability group, which we didn't have before. So we could make public folders highly available for the first time in the history of Exchange. Uh, Damn it. The thing is that I know the reason behind it, because I was trying to uh, try to find out mm-hmm. why did Microsoft uh, screw things up so badly. And there were two reasons. There were two reasons. First reason was that Microsoft uh, had a meeting and then they decided that what they're going to do is that they're not going to uh, save resources anymore on the servers. So they decided that the disk space is so cheap Correct. You shouldn't be caring about disk space. Correct. And this is the reason why at the same time they started working on storage spaces and all the different uh, technologies mm-hmm. uh, connected to disks and decided that, uh, that DAGs are a thing. The way is, to do it. The way to do it. Which it is. Yes. And the other thing was the actual legis- legislative hold. Okay. Legislative hold was a thing that they had to do because people were asking for it. Of course. And once they... Uh, so let me just try to explain what legislative hold is because you're the trainer. Uh, please, please, please. I'm... The idea of legislative hold is related to situations when, let's say, company employees leak stuff or send stuff that they shouldn't. Litigation hold enables you to kind of keep evidence of them doing the wrong things related to, let's say, also data loss prevention methodologies. Uh, which can then become a part of the you getting fired and then you getting sued. And that's the pro- and, and, okay. and the, yeah, the, the thing that they need to do when they are doing that, yeah. they need to preserve the original versions of all the messages. Yes, yes, and in a separate if, mailbox usually, but yes, there are and policies. If you are that. referencing messages, yeah, uh, it becomes a big problem because mm-hmm. then you need to create copies of the messages for some people. 
and you are creating a nightmare on the part of the exchange server. Yeah. So what they did is they decided that, okay, we are not going to uh, be uh, saving the disks anymore yeah. because it's much quicker to have everything uh, indexed in different databases. So in DAGs, you can uh, create different databases and different disks. So you can do a smart uh, algorithm to, on, to find things when searching works. in Which exchange. is what they implemented in SQL later as well. Yes, and then when they basically did the search in exchange so nobody is able to find anything anymore that's office 365 not exchange no no but but in in in, in the outlook it, yeah i know yeah, yes uh, so uh it's not that uh, i'm i'm not going to take that microsoft any microsoft search is uh, going to work for more than a year after it's been released then it's exchange going to be search in 2000 exchange 2010 uh, i have i have it for Let's see. So I took over that in 2005. We upgraded in 2012, I think. To so 10, 10 years, 11 years. So exchange indexing, which is in the back end of the, of the search mechanism, I had to reset it once. Yes, but Microsoft searches uh, yeah, yeah. Generally, they don't, generally are don't like wine. Yeah. Some vintages are good. And most of them are crap. Most of them are crap and some are dead, uh, deadly. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to go into details about this, but that's uh, more than enough. But as I said, around 2010, they decided that they're going to completely uh, create the operating system and create everything around the operating system in a different way. Yeah. They st stopped uh, saving memory. Yeah. Uh, if you remember that uh, people. That's when, when... not the only story. They actually rewrote large portions of the operating system, especially Exchange because they moved architecture from multiple services to two services then into one, which they announced way beforehand. So that was very uh, customer friendly, but they rewrote a lot of the code so that it becomes much more efficient. And it yes, was. But, but it's not only that. It's yeah. uh, if you remember back the way then when Windows 7 uh, came out and then Windows 7 was uh, uh, more or less uh, superseded by Windows 8 and then uh, Windows 8 won because we remember Windows yes. 8 existed. No, uh, we the, don't. We don't Microsoft, want to. We Microsoft... have a black hole in the memory for that time period. Yes, but one of the biggest changes is that people kept uh, bothering other users is why is my Windows using all the memory available? Yeah. And the reason that most people don't understand is that if you have a computer that has a large amount of memory okay. and you are not using the memory, mm -hmm. you're basically wasting resources. Yeah. Because not using the memory is wasting resources. Yeah. And this is what Microsoft did. They decided to use the entire memory, not to leave a part of the memory free for no particular reason, but if they're able to cache something, cache it. Okay. Uh, they did the preloading stuff. Mm -hmm. So you, you actually got the scripts for preload services, uh, DLS uh, and different uh, algorithms that enable them to preload stuff into memory. You got uh, disk usage way, way, way up because they stopped uh, trying to save, uh, save them, um, disks. But at the same time, the operating system actually became better. It was, yeah, much better. So I think that up to Microsoft basically did a big leap up to 2000, 2003, then did duck all uh, from 2003 to 2008. 2008 was another big, uh, big year for them. And then they waited until 2010. And then I think the next next big version was actually Windows 10. Because, okay. And because in between, 
the there lies madness. Yeah. Uh, Windows 8.1, it went Windows 8. Uh, Again, no Windows 8. Um, as I said, so since you have a photographic memory, do you remember what Windows 8 was uh, known for? Apart from not working properly? Yes, but why did they change that, to change it? What was the biggest thing that they needed to change? For me, the user interface was annoying as hell after Windows 7, which had classic. Yes. And when, in Windows 8, we all went classic shell or something like that to get that feeling, to get that feeling back, you know? Because I don't remember what was the particular thing that they wanted to target to specifically... Oh, they wanted to create an operating system that would work both on desktops and tablets. That's what they tried. Yes, but I don't remember which which was, uh, which was feature was the one that they targeted to be removed from Windows 8 to Windows 8.1. And why did they need to so quickly replace the Windows 8? Because Windows market? 8 were crashing all the time. It, okay. it just didn't work. Yes, but I would expect them to create something like second edition or whatever. Nah. Not calling because there is no other version of Windows that had version point one. Yeah, yeah, I know. I completely understand what you want to say. But for me, the fact that they did issue eight point one was a lifesaver, just like you. Although I could tell you a tale of a thousand years of uh, infinite reboots of Windows eight one updates. You remember those those things in the old office? I could leave the, my PC HP. PC to do a particular update and then it would just endlessly reboot after that. So I had to do restore and then again after the month. I must say that this is but one... But apart from that, 8.1 for me. But to completely personal, uh, to be completely personal with you now, uh, with this uh, Windows update with Windows 8 and Windows 8.1 uh, was one of those things when I first saw that you were capable of just silently... Uh, ignoring the accepting problem, the fate. accepting the fate and accepting that uh, this is not ever going to get better. Yeah. Let's just, you know let's, why? Uh, because it's Microsoft. No, it's not because Microsoft. It's uh, There's another reason. Because I had a very, very good laptop with Windows 7. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I usually have something with a little bit of an older version that usually works. One other feature that I didn't mention, which is hugely important for us, actually we are discontinuing it now in the company these days, is Windows 2008 and 8, uh, 2008 or 2 introduced direct access. In 2012, it, uh, the wizard for it was heavily upgraded and it was much easier to use. And to be quite honest, if I were to select a technology by Microsoft that I really always liked and will always like, it is direct access. It is like a VPN methodology that you can use. Difference being that you don't have to do VPN connection, configuration, whatnot. The computer, as soon as it smells the sound, of, uh, the, the smell of internet, automatically connects to your uh, corporate network, which is awesome because you don't have to manage that at all. It is managed by group policy. We are discontinuing it because Microsoft basically discontinued it years ago for, again, no apparent reason whatsoever. And I must say that uh, now having a capability to do this is something that is uh, enabling uh, WireGuard. Yeah. That I'm uh, that I'm pretty big fan of. Forty client has the feature to automatically connect as well. Mm, okay, but uh, WireGuard is much closer to what the direct access was meant to be. Okay. Uh, so it is uh, capable of understanding where you are. A limit in in a very limited fashion, but it's capable of doing this, and it is capable of just uh, routing 
the traffic that you actually need to a particular uh, network and then leaving all the other uh, traffic outside and without having to pay a license for everything that you there do. Is, actually, they did kind of replace it with some other technologies. There are, since Windows 2012 or 2 or 2006, you can have what Microsoft calls app-based VPNs. Yes. You can start the browser, uh, try to load the web page that's in your corporate network. It will, based on that application, it will connect you. Uh, to your corporate network. Problem being that this was, I think, and still is configured via PowerShell, which is superbly difficult. I wanted to add one more thing because I forgot about this. This is something that Microsoft should be commended for. In 2012 and 2012 R2, along with all of the storage things that I already mentioned that they did, they heavily upgraded DFS, which started working perfectly. They added SMB 3.0, file servers start working well. Da -da 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 -da. One other feature was added, which was SMB over RDMA. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this, most people don't use it and don't care about it at all, is actually because some other vendors, especially in the virtualization market, only recently implemented RDMA features in the past version or two. So they were, back then, they were quite f like forward thinking in a sense, because that's the technology that is going to be and already is kind of the technology that we are going to use to have low latency, high bandwidth access to storage. That is the technology that's right now on the market, the thing, the zenith of the thing. Okay. So very, very important. I uh, almost forgot about that. So that, that wouldn't be okay. As you said, I sometimes forget things because I try to uh, push them back in my memory. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when Microsoft introduced the uh, uh, Windows 8 look into the Windows Server? Yes, and this confusing, this confusing thing, uh, thing when you had, in, if you wanted to uh, shut down the server, you had to wait on the upper right corner and went for the wait for the sidebar to appear. Yesterday, I had to fix our DA server because uh, it was having digestive problems, so I had to log into 2012, and this is exactly what happened to me. You have to go to lower right part, so that this, uh, the the uh, not sidebar. not so much not so much start menu uh, as as much as sidebar starts so that you can press a button so that you can press another button so that you can reboot and this is this is Hell. one of the most amazing features that was introduced because way I back can then, top that windows server 20, uh, 2022 it has the capability to have that start button on the left hand side where it belongs but if you want to log off or restart for example if you are the, uh, the regular user you press one button, then you press which user, and then on top of that, another menu, sub-menu open so that you can restart, reboot, shut down, whatever. Why? We already uh, had a solution for that in Windows XP. Uh, but what I like about Microsoft is that what, what they did is that uh, they implemented uh, UI change. Mm -hmm. Although Which sucks. No, but although all of them were using virtualization back mm -hmm. then, and then they introduced the change that basically meant for every administrator uh it meant hovering about uh about the right edge of the screen somewhere on your uh, monitor and trying to find out what the magic pixel is yes exactly that is like looking at some kind of weird magic happening without knowing how it happens because while I, trying to do it I because you the, are the instigator of when magic. i first tried it I, I was completely puzzled because i said we are using almost ex uh, almost exclusive. We are using uh, virtual machines. Mm -hmm. Nobody is logged in the console. I don't have one-to-one -one, uh, pixel uh, mapping. Mm -hmm. So I need to find a magic pixel that is going to be resized 
uh, and I need to find it somewhere in my screen while trying to uh, remain my composure because I need to wait for the thing to appear and it is going to slide in usually over a slow connection and then I need to push something and if I just simply go out of, out of the window it's going to just uh, escape and I'm going to do it uh, going to need to do it again it's just one of those things which, which are completely amazing to me I'm not even mad at, at Microsoft it's amazing you know how we said in the previous episode that uh, in IT uh, everything went to hell when we started having IRQ lines hardwired whatnot for me the the moment where I started noticing all of the things that you kind of like just said that I notice way too much and I am obsessed with, which I'm not, it's subconscious. Actually, the situation that meant that for me wasn't the RQ lines and whatnot. It was when Microsoft started playing around with the look and feel of the GUI when they removed the classic team. This is when my, let's say, much more pronounced critical uh, appreciation of Microsoft, which sometimes is a little overly critical and I'm aware of that, came out because they pissed me off to no end just like many millions of users uh, apart from me just like you because i know you were pissed at this because they that didn't need any change but i was i wasn't even i wasn't even pissed i was just flabbergasted i was just looking at yeah, it just, no no you you, you just no. take a look at it and say okay i understand this what on does the, desktop. the point mean by this no but i i can understand this on the desktop but everybody is using virtualization. This is going to be a screen that is going to change size. It is going to be resized. It's going to be remapped. And I, I just you, you just stop. And then you uh, realize that they uh, are uh, still going to re reuse uh, a 640, 480 uh, resolution for the, the, yeah. the resolution for the virtual machine. Said, okay, okay, what, what, the what last time the monitors were uh, that, well, let's say, poorly in resolution was 20 years ago. Yes, as a default VGA yes, resolution. Yes, to put it into perspective, uh, it's a uh, lower resolution than what uh, I watch. Yeah. I watch has today. Yeah. <laughs> to put it in perspective, but yeah, actually, uh, to 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 the uh, to to your point, and to be a little bit funny about it, I saw an article a couple of weeks ago. Some guy uh, made some kind of a script or something, which can bring back the classic theme look and feel to Windows 10 and Windows 11. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. People are really pissed off at that still today, many but, years later. But I'm I'm not I'm not against uh, stuff changing on the Windows uh, 11. S sorry, you want to tell me that Windows 11 taskbar is something that was thought out well? Um, Come on, man! I would just call it a big extremely big a b testing psychological testing on users yeah you are you are ux testing but i just psychological want to see, testing. but i want to see what the b looks the, the like b, yeah the okay. b looks like because the a sucks yes i just want to see what the b looks like because i i'm completely sure that this wasn't the first idea mm -hmm. i know that they were trying to steal the idea of mac and it was the wrong idea to steal because i uh, on the mac the thing that mostly dislike uh Yes. On the idea that I mostly dislike is the idea of the having a taskbar in the center. Okay. But at least they created a consistent experience there. On Mac, that works. That works, but it works because it was thought, it was thought out. Yeah. On Windows, on Windows some, uh, you just actually feel like somebody got the uh, task of taking the start menu, put it in the center, and then saying, okay, 
Then I go need get now, cup, now go get cupcake. Now I need to do something with it. So let's create a window out of thin air mm -hmm. for no reason at all. Yeah, I've been using Max forever, just like you. And uh, actually, uh, the the idea of that centered the, the menu and the, the taskbar, which is located like this in the center of the screen, which can then expand and shrink and you can actually manage that as well, came way, way before anything like this happened in Windows. I would, to be completely honest, I would pretty much like to have my uh, start button on the top left. Thank you. You like Linux? Yes, like uh, all the decent operating systems, including the Mac. Mm -hmm. Just yeah, have, yeah. The, have the uh, whatever button that you need to uh, start activities. So on the top left and that's it. Because this is the thing and this is the place where it doesn't... Uh, it's not in the way. It's not in the way. I dislike macOS idea of having the close button on the top left. Okay, I've gotten used to that many, many yes, minutes but, ago. Uh, but and I, I agree with you, by but the way. But I think, I think that the normal thing for a person is to have the close button on the top, on the bottom right. Because you're reading from left to right and from top to bottom. So mm -hmm. when you're finishing something, you are expecting this to finish to be in the end of the screen, not at the start of the screen. And absolutely nobody would agree with you because of the habits and the history. I, I understand what you're talking about. This is more related to UI, UI UX design. Uh, I actually agree with you on the idea, but this wouldn't work. People would hate but it. But Microsoft does it. Exit is usually on the top, uh, top right, uh, bottom right. Top right. No, bottom right, exit. When you're exiting okay. something, it's usually on the, on the bottom right. And the other thing is that Microsoft is trying to be sort of kind of consistent about it. Uh, Mac OS <laughs> is not, not that much, uh, doesn't have that much consistency. But, okay, let's finish with the Windows Server 2022. And 16 and 19, because we can bundle them all together. No, we cannot. Yes, we can. No, we cannot. 2019 uh, works. No, At least I, it's, I disagree. It's, it's capable of uh, creating users. You mean after you uh, log in as administrator and it asks you, do you have permission to do that? And or the, no, does no, the no, same this thing. Was the, this was the 2000, this was 2019. And 22 and uh, 19 and 22 both do, did it in some versions. And for network configuration, remember yes, that and, one? And, and network configuration for some reason is the, this is the most, most flabbergasting moment. Uh, yeah, he does the, a lab with students. He is the domain admin on the machine that right clicks on the ne uh, network icon on the right hand side in the taskbar, right click, wants to do network configuration and it asks him for a password. No, it doesn't ask you for a password. No, actually it shows no, you an error. It just throws an error, you yeah. need to be administrator to do this. And you have to go to register to fix that. There is a known fix for that. Yes, but the, the problem is that I'm, uh, I'm administrator working at the server console, mm -hmm. okay? regardless of what uh, v it is a VM, but I'm at the server console. I can change all the settings while I'm logged in as an administrator. Mm -hmm. I install domain services. Mm -hmm. I promote the server to domain controller. Okay. Now I become the domain admin because there is not no other thing that I can become uh, after this. The local administrator becomes disabled mm -hmm. by default. That's okay. And then the domain admin doesn't have permission to change the IP settings. Mm -hmm. And <sighs> what, whatever went wrong there, you know? And the thing is that suddenly you are just completely lost because you are administrator. I, I, I have a, also one more thing. Um, 
I was doing something on a machine a couple of days ago. I was testing something on a, on a machine that was connected to my, because I'm, I'm trying to create an active directory at home. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me. Uh, any, anyways, I'm trying to do something at home. I'm, I'm experimenting. And uh, I connected the machine to the active directory. And I created a user that is a domain admin on the local machine. Mm-hmm. I logged in as a domain admin to the local workstation. And I was trying to change the uh, uh, user access control. Mm-hmm. I was trying to lower it way down. You cannot do this. If the user is a local user, even it's, if it's domain admin, it's not permitted to, the, to change the user access control unless it has local, local admin, admin group. Yes. A local admin group, not mm-hmm. local admin rights, local admin group. Mm-hmm. Um, membership. Like membership. Yeah, on the that's, local what I, well, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, completely pointless. Yeah, I know. Just and it took me it took me maybe ten minutes to understand which kind you, of you know that to t- Tom and Jerry episode when uh, when Jerry is looking through the memories that he had with yes. Tom and then Tom comes at the end and smacks him with a cake yes. and Jerry just says yes that's just one one of those things where when you could say okay why do I have different types of admins mm-hmm. if the top level admin is unable to change something mm-hmm. so. How is it possible that I can be a top-level admin in the, in the domain, but still being unable to change a simple thing on the local computer? And why? Some kind of new base, the role-based access control that we don't want to hear about, probably. Or we are, want to hear about, but nobody uh, decided to mention it. Yeah, no memo. Yes. So Actually, so to your point, 2016 was way better than both of them. Well, I can actually show you many, many reasons why, and I, I could do that for just fun's sake. But most of the advancements that were made from 2016 to 2002 were much smaller and much more incremental than what it used to be in the past. 2012, 2012 or two were fundamental shift in the model of and in, in things that Microsoft do and how they do it because of the storage change and whatnot. But 2016 did not have a long list of new things. There were some things related to. Hyper-V, shielded VMs, nobody uses that that I know of. There were some small changes to ADFS and web application proxy, some new uh, configuration methods. They switched to DFS as a methodology to replicate Active Directory, which is a good uh, thing, definitely. They introduced the capability to do a little bit of PowerShell DSC, basically uh, Ansible meets the idea of PowerShell as well. There were, uh, yeah, there were... Uh, actually changes on the uh, uh, in terms of additional service uh, network controller uh, I did quite a few demos with this in front of my students it never finished successfully always chose me an error whatever and there were quite a few additional security technologies so credential guard uh, device guard windows defender was added whatnot in 2019 basically nothing really new to add a little bit more of additional hardware support for storage class memory resilient file system the duplication was supported in 2019 although resilient file system yeah yeah. and resilient file system was there already for many many years actually i remember some of the materials for exchange 2013 or 16 when they were swearing that we should put exchange database on resilient file system nobody did that and they made a huge hoopla of uh, Basically, in 2019, they started shifting and forcing us to, to look towards either hyper-converged 
type of environment or to go hybrid cloud or something like that. This is where Azure Stack came out and stuff like that. And generally speaking, in 2022, nothing really of note to, to kind of like really, uh, you know, be very ecstatic about storage replica compression, support for some more uh, Azure Stack related things like hyper-converged uh, environments on Azure Stack. They added some bits and pieces to SMB, so latest support for uh, SMB 3.1.1 for quick, uh, uh, there's a new protocol, completely irrelevant. There were some security additions. UFI secure boot was changed, virtualization-based security, mostly stuff related to, to security actually there and nothing more. But generally speaking, those three OSs are more alike than they're different, all three of them. Let me just let me just propose uh, an idea on how to rate uh, Microsoft OSs. Okay. Because I can see, I can see uh, in all this madness, I can see a steady, uh, a steady way to understand which version is better than the, the other versions. Okay. So uh, let's consider this. 2016 was what I would consider feature freeze. Basically, what they when they said uh, they created all the upper, other operating system up until then uh, then point. You mean then, that that's that's uh, the the place where they should have just uh, went uh, go from 2016 to just Windows Server and then onwards? Yes. Is because, that a metaphor? Yes, because what they did okay. is 2019 and 2022 look like uh, just cosmetic. We have to release something uh, versions. Okay. And I think that what my proposal is. Let's take a look at uh, forest functional levels. Okay. They stopped at 2016. Yes. Yeah. And this is my point. Okay. Uh, when they started, uh, started uh, stop developing uh, functional levels, this means that they ran out of things that they needed to put into the uh, forest. Okay. That doesn't have to be bad. Yes. No, no. It's, it's amazing. So this means that currently they don't have any idea what to do on the enterprise level mm -hmm. so they just need to change the interface and uh, change small things apart from that small thing that i did with powershell and ad users which crashed my domain controller yes everything works well i think this is because uh, they are just now probably lost the entire team that was doing the active directory because mm -hmm. in from 2016 to 2022 it's uh, what six years mm -hmm. so it's uh, eons in microsoft uh, microsoft in space technology terms, in technology yeah. terms so uh, probably a team uh, went uh, offline, uh, working from home, eating avocados, not coming back to the... Going to Bali. Yes, not coming back to the office because they are now completely fine with uh, whatever was, has been done. So uh, this is one of those... Enjoying their life's work. Yes. So I think that this is... this is, I think that we should be following not the Windows versions, but the forest levels versions. So we don't have to follow anything anymore. So if there is a, in the next version of Windows uh, Server, if there is a forest uh, forest uh, update, mm -hmm. then we should be uh, looking into it as a new version of Windows. Unless there is a forest update or forest update, we don't care. Okay. Uh, on that notion, run forest run. It's time to, time to, yeah, it's just wordplay. It's time to end the episode. Okay. So good discussion yet again. We have many more of these coming, but until they do, and until we do some new episodes, I've been Medan, he's been Yasmin, and bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.